Hey, what notters, the podcasters. <laughs> Pastor Wolfmuller here. Uh, last week, we had a young adult conference at St. Paul in Austin, and um, the topic was a theology of pronouns, Christian response to transgenderism. I got to lecture a couple of times on that and recorded some of the lecture. I, I think I cut out for some of the Q&A. I kept some of it on here, but uh, here's those uh, two lectures. I just am going to plop them up here for you. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me, wolfmuller.co slash contact. Thanks also for subscribing to the free Wednesday Whatnot uh, on Substack. You can find that also on the website, wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday. Thanks so much. The handout there, it'll be the same as the slides that you see, I hope, on the screen. Our topic is a theology of pronouns, a, gr a brief Christian consideration of transgenderism. So let's get some terms uh, on the uh, table first. This, this, this is from GLAD, from the GLAD website, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance. Uh, so this is not something I made up. Transgender is a term used to describe people whose gender identity differs from the sex they were assigned at birth. That language assigned at birth, you can circle on your page. We're going to come back to it as we try to understand what's going on. Vicar, if you want to take a pile to the back, that'd be great too. Can I just take Yep, take them all. Yep. A gender identity is a person's internal personal sense of being a ma man or a woman or boy or girl. For some people, their gender identity does not fit neatly into those two choices. For transgender people, the sex they were assigned at birth and their own internal gender identity do not match. People in the transgender community may describe themselves using one or more of a wide variety of terms, including but not limited to transgender, transsexual, and non-binary. Always use the term used by the person. Trying to change a person's gender identity is no more successful than trying to change a person's sexual orientation. This is going to be very interesting to talk about. It doesn't work. So most transgender people seek to bring their bodies into alignment with their gender identity. This is called transition. The word trans means to change, or really it means across. So this is from glad.org. Okay. So the basic idea for transgender is that the person's internal sense of gender does not match their body. Okay. Uh, now, I want to uh, to set the stage here. I want to think of transgenderism as a heresy. This is helpful in a number of ways. Uh, in other words, what, what we normally think of, oh, I don't know what we normally think of when we think of it, but I want to I want to reframe it to 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 include all of the things that we think about when we think about false doctrine. So to simply say that transgenderism is a heresy in regard to male and female. It's a misunderstanding of God's creation of male and female. Just like if someone has a different doctrine of Jesus and they say that he wasn't fully divine or he wasn't fully human. Well, that's a Christological heresy. Or someone says that God is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a Trinitarian heresy. Well, if someone says that that you can be uh, born, uh, your body can be one uh, gender, and your identity can be another gender. I just want to treat that as a as a gender heresy, or a man woman heresy. And the reason why I want to treat it like a heresy is for three reasons. Number one, 
it lets us give thanks for it. And I'll come back to that in just a little bit. But number two, if we normally think of the transgender as a as if we're the person that we're really trying to deal with is the person that, for example, the man who thinks that he's a woman or the woman that thinks he's a man or the person that thinks that they're gender non-binary or whatever. We think of the person who's struggling with this thing, the person who's engaged in that activity. But I want to expand the conversation. Who we're really dealing with is not the person, individual who's struggling, but with every person who thinks that it is possible who thinks that it's possible for, the, for this division of person and body to exist. In other words, even if a person says, like I would say, my pronouns are he, him, if I think that my pronouns come from my own decision, rather from my body, I'm also a transgender heretic. Do you see what I'm saying? So in other words, if we could take, if we could take the question to... Uh, say abortion, which would be a, a heresy, a motherhood heresy. Uh, we're not arguing when it comes to the question of abortion with only those people who are trying to uh, uh, provide abortions or have abortions, but we're actually having an argument with everybody who thinks that abortion is right. Do you see the difference? There could be a mom who's had 20 kids, but she's pro-abortion, and we're also arguing with her. Because it's a matter of doctrine, okay? So, so I want to expand the conversation. It's a, it's a, it's a question about teaching. Uh, now, here's how we can give thanks for it. Because the Lord could, if he wanted, bring an end to all heresies. But he lets the church be afflicted with heresies. And I think for four reasons. There's four blessings in heresies. And, and, I, want to, and I want this to be, kind of press into us as we get started. Number one, it lets us go to the Bible and clarify what the Bible says. We can look and say, well, what does the Bible really say about man and woman? What does the Bible really say about uh, gender and sex? What does the Bible really say about father and mother? So we can have biblical clarity. Second, we can repent of our own false doctrines. A lot of times we just assume things. We just pick things up from the culture and people around us. And we, and we don't even have an opportunity to investigate them. So when we're dealing with this particular false doctrine, it lets us go and say, have I adopted either some of the world's false ideas of man and woman? Or have I adopted my own uh, wrong ways of understanding these things? This is what Pastor Ketchemeyer, I, I think, is going to help us through today. What does the Bible say about being a man? What does the Bible say about being a woman? And so I can repent of my own false ideas and I can believe what the Bible says even if it's uncomfortable remember this is what we're called to as Christians to trust in the scripture even when we don't like what the scripture says and to confess the scripture even if the world doesn't like what the scripture says there's not a lot of occasions in this world of being courageous just there's I mean there is sometimes but there's just not a lot of opportunity for courage in the world but when we're believing something that the Bible says that the world rejects, then we get a little chance every now and again to be courageous and stand up for it. Okay? So we can treat it not only as an act, but also as a doctrine. Now, let's lean into the pronouns a little bit. I think my cup is leaking. Does anyone have an egg? Paula, thank you. Uh, and let's ask, uh, let's ask about pronouns or think about pronouns for a little while. Here's a, uh, 
here's a quote by Laverne Cox, who is a, thank you, who is a, an actress, a transgender activist, and she says this, misgendering a person, misgendering a trans person is an act of violence. Okay. What is misgendering? Right, using a, 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 a pronoun that is uh, different than the pronoun that's been uh, presented, to use a name that was maybe the name that a person was given at birth, they've changed their name, that's dead naming, to treat someone as a boy who is a who is saying that they're a girl or treat someone as a girl, says that they're non-binary or something, to treat someone not according to the gender that they have identified as. The, the ELCA will help us here. Here's the ELCA tweet. <laughs> this was on Happy International Pronoun Day, which was October 19th. I don't know if you knew October 19th was International Pronoun Day. We just missed it. Put it on your calendar for next year. The ELCA Lutherans tweeted, Happy International Pronoun Day. Research has correlated using someone's correct pronoun. It used, by the way, it used to be a person's preferred pronoun. But now, if you look on, for example, if you do a little research on pronouns.org, like I did this week, uh, it's an important thing to note that preferred pronouns is not the preferred way to speak of it because it's not my preference. In other words, the, the way that I, the pronouns with which I identify are my identity. It's not what I choose, it's my, it's, it's an actual reality, see? So, uh, research has correlated using someone's correct pronoun and name if they've changed it from what we previously knew them as with a decline in suicidal ideation. The right pronoun can literally save a life. Now, one of the things that comes up over and over in the transgender question is the great prevalence of suicide amongst those people who are struggling with their gender identity. And uh, this is always the threat that hangs over the people who are doing it wrong. If you, don't, if you don't get with the program, people will kill themselves. Nobody wants that. This is from, uh, I think this is from pronouns.org, or maybe, no, this might be from, yeah, this is from Planned Parenthood. Sorry, Planned Parenthood of Illinois. You may have noticed more and more people are offering their pronouns when they introduce themselves in meetings and an email signature in class during casual conversation or on TikTok. The reason is simple. The concept of gender is ever-evolving, and so are gender, gender identities. There is scientific evidence. Now, this is an amazing paragraph to just put your head around. And you might be wondering, well, what does Planned Parenthood have to do with this anyways, right? Well... Can I, I mean, the cat out of the bag is Planned Parenthood has always been in the eugenics business, and this is great for them. But Planned Parenthood now clinics are offering uh, gender transitioning treatment as part of their stuff. What does that have to do with planning parenthood? Well, it's planning not parenthood is the point, right? Uh, you lose your capacity to be a parent. But anyway, there's, okay, so there's scientific evidence to support that gender identity is biologically determined, meaning a person's gender identity cannot be changed any more than eye color, physical height, or being left-handed. Now, you and I read that, and we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
biologically determined. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. Like, hey, are you a, a boy or a girl? But the biological determination that they're talking about here is not your body, but your brain, your mind. There's male brain activity and female brain activity. What changed the societal acceptance of using the pronouns that correspond with a person's gender identity? Everybody's situation is unique. Some people use non-traditional pronouns such as Zizim. Have you all, has anyone met a Zizim? I have not yet. Someone's name and pronouns may change after you've already been introduced to the person or some people use more than one set of pronouns for themselves. I saw a number of people who used he, them, or she, his. What? Like if you have something, you're a man, but if you don't, you're a woman. There's one story, which was amazing, of a person whose gender, a high schooler, whose gender was changing so quickly that the family never knew if they, this individual was going to be a boy or a girl on any given day. So when it was time for the prom, they bought both a tuxedo and a dress, not knowing how it was going to be that night. So not only this is, can change, and the person can change it at any given time. Here's an LGBT uh, foundation. Happy International Pronoun Day to you, whether you use Zizem, she, her, Daydem, which I think has got to be a joke. Daydem? Has anybody met a Daydem? Yeah, Daydem? He, him, they, them, fay, fair. Pronouns, any others? Just short list of some example pronouns people may use. You never know someone's program, pronoun until you ask. Now, why is this a big deal? Here's, here's how we hear it. This is from pronouns.org. It's a real website. Using someone's correct personal pronouns is a way to respect them and create an inclusive environment, just as using a person's name can be a way to respect them, just as it can be offensive or even harassing to make up a nickname for someone, or call them that nickname against their will. As an example, Old Bra is my nickname for Pastor Ketchemeyer. That's my correct adjective. <laughs> O-L apostrophe. Someone will call them that nickname against their will. It can be offensive or harassing to guess at someone's pronouns and refer to them using those pronouns if that is not how that person wants to be known. Or worse, actively choosing to ignore the pronouns someone has stated that they go by could imply the oppressive notion that intersex, transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people do not or should not exist. <clears throat> now there we get to it. Is there there we get to the real rub. And that is in fact what the pronouns are demanding here. It seems like a small little thing. Pronouns are small, they're like the smallest words you can think of. He, she, you, we, I. But the refusing to use the pronouns that a person, uh, uh, what is it, stated they go by, the language here, implies the oppressive notion that the whole ideology does not exist. And that's what we confess. 
The ideology does not exist. At least it is not a, con a right conception of reality. I want to show you. But look at this. Here's, this is a, a matter for the kids. It's not so easy as just your body and your mind. There's a lot of different things going on. This is the gender unicorn, which is used to help the children in elementary school sort out uh, what uh, their gender is. Uh, to learn more, go to transstudent.org. You see the gender unicorn there, and you see that there's five different questions that you're, you're to ask. Number one, you have your DNA in, in your crotch, I guess. <laughs> that is the sex assigned at birth. Male, female, intersex. Okay. You also have your gender identity, what you identify as, your gender expression, what you present on the outside, your physical attraction, uh, men, women, other, your emotional attraction, women, men, other. So that this is the whole uh, swath of uh, uh, kind of gender possibilities. So I can identify as a man, I can present as non-binary, I could have a female assigned at birth, I could be physically attracted to men and emotionally attracted to women or whatever. That's the whole mix of who you are in this whole experiment of self-definition. Now here's the key sign. And I think the key thing that we want to lean into and try to understand. Do you see that sign in the middle? Genitalia does not equal gender. So I'm going to build a wall of separation between this idea of gender which exists in my own mind or spirit versus what I have according to my body. And to understand what's going on here, we got to lean into the old ideology of Gnosticism. Okay, so let me pause there just for a brief moment and make sure that if anybody has any clarifying questions or if anyone has any Anything that they need to kind of add at this point or, or questions if anything wasn't clear. Yeah. So, Pastor, um, the, there were two statements on uh, a slide, a couple slides back. Um, there's scientific evidence to support that gender identity is biologically determined and cannot be changed. And then the very next, like two sentences later, also says someone's name and pronouns may change after you've already been introduced to the person. Yeah. So, they can't change. And they might change all the time. <laughs> Did you guys get that? So here it says, this, uh, gender, there's scientific evidence to support that gender identity is biologically determined. A person's gender identity cannot be changed. Whoops. Any more than high, eye color. And then it says, uh, someone's name and pronouns may change after you've already been introduced to the person. So, the, and, and you can change back and forth all the way. So, uh, I would think I think that what they would say in that is that their biological how they would try to wiggle out of that is that their bio, their mind is stuck in changing back and forth. <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that it keeps changing. Now you say, well, that doesn't make any sense, but the, that's the whole point. It's not really supposed to make sense. I remember I was trying to figure out, like we, we were working through a situation where there was a, a man who was married and had children and was becoming a woman. And I was trying to ask if 
his wife chose to be a lesbian. Because after all, she was going from being married to a man to being married to a woman. That seems like a reasonable question. I mean, I don't know if reasonable is the right adjective for that situation, but it seems like a question that you would want to ask. Like, well, did she make a choice about that? And the, and the response was, well, you just don't get it. To which I agree. <laughs> because at some point, it's like the, the point is that it's, it's, uh, it's tearing, it's, it, it wants things to be confusing. So this idea that scientific evidence to support that gender identity is biologically determined is just a head fake. It's just giving a way to say that if you try to, if you try to engage in what's called conversion therapy, you're being uh, uh, offensive, or uh, even not not just not just offensive. You are being um, destructive, violent. Yes, sir. So that would therefore mean that intersex, non-binary, and you know, non-gender conforming people therefore do not exist because they're stuck, stuck between the two, mm. switching back and forth. Right. So there can't be intersex, there can't be non-binary, right. non-gender Right. That's right. It turns out, I mean, the whole thing, ah, the, whole, the whole thing is built on, on really primitive ideas of gender which is what is said that they're trying to escape. We'll come back to that. I want to, uh, you mentioned intersex, and that came up here in a little, a little bit. I, I want to take the question of intersex, uh, and I want to put it off to the side, and then I want to bring it back later. Because when we're talking about someone who's intersex, we're talking about like the one in 100 people who are born with a body that is not obviously male or female. It's a physical condition. And that's very, very different than what we're... T- and I think one in a hundred might be pretty generous statistics. I think it, I, I'm not a hundred percent... I'm not sure that, that, that I can trust those statistics. But I want to bring that back up later. Because someone who, someone who says that my biology is non-determinative is a completely different situation than someone who says my biology is determinative and my, my person is something very different. That's, that's what we're working with with the Gnostics. Okay, any other questions? I want to lean into this idea of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a very ancient heresy. And if you just learn one thing all day today from me, it's this understanding of Gnosticism. Because Gnosticism is a primal heresy. It's a ubiquitous heresy. It means it always is everywhere, and it's always showing up. It was, it was in the garden when the devil was tempting Adam and Eve it's going to be uh, really the, it's the energy behind every heresy. The basic idea of Gnosticism is it divides the world into two. And there is the spirit and there is, the, and there is matter. There's the spirit realm and there's the physical realm. And Gnosticism says that the spirit realm is what's good and holy and right. And the physical realm is what's corrupt and fallen sinful and bad in fact the Gnostics when they read the Bible the old like say the Valentinian Gnostics when they read the Old Testament they said that it was the devil who created the world because why would the true God the 
the, the, the essential God with all these demiurges and everything emanating from him, why would he create matter? He's a spirit, and spirit is where it is. Where it is. Now, this Gnosticism is going to divide us and say it's going to recognize that there's, there's really two parts to us. We have the inner life, the heart, which is where we have our memories. It's where we have our feelings and emotions. It's where we have our will and our reason and our thoughts. All of that is our inner life. And then we have our outward physical life, the life of the body. And we recognize that too, that internal life and that external life. But we understand that they're connected to one another, that we are body and soul created by God together. The Gnostics want to separate those two. In fact, there was a Gnostic gospel, uh, the gospel of Judas, that was discovered or faked or whatever 10, 20 years ago. And it's very interesting that in the gospel, in the Gnostic gospel of Judas, Jesus is talking to Judas, who's going to be the hero. And he says to Judas, you will set me free from this prison. In other words, the Gnostics understand this body is, a, is an imprisonment, is a weight. It, we're trapped in our bodies and the spirit will be free like this. So the spirit versus matter, which makes this distinction, the internal and the external. And if you're a Gnostic, you have the internal-external distinction. What matters to you? Where is the authority? What's the most important part? The spirit is internal. The external life, the stuff around you, is your body. So it's the internal that matters more than the external. The internal has the authority, and the external has to be brought in line with the internal. Uh, it's not only that the external is the internal is greater than the external; it's that the internal must have a coercive power over the external. Now, this particular part of of Gnosticism, this distinction, this move of authority from the external to the internal is what we call enthusiasm. And I, I've got a, a long quote from Luther on enthusiasm. I'm just going to go to the third part. This is the, this is the idea that it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's only the internal conversation that matters and the external doesn't. Look at what Luther says. In a word, enthusiasm inheres in Adam and his children from the beginning, from the first fall to the end of the world. Its poison, having been implanted and infused into them by the old dragon, and is the origin, power, life, and strength of all heresy, especially the papacy and Mohammed. Therefore, we ought to must constantly maintain this point, that God does not wish to deal with us otherwise than through the spoken word and the sacraments. It's the devil himself whatsoever is extolled as spirit without the word and sacrament. So, so Gnosticism, it splits the world into spirit and matter and says the spirit is holy, matter is unholy, the spirit has to overcome the matter. It's, it splits the world into the internal and the external and says that the external has to be brought into conformity with the internal. And this shows up now as the person and the self. Gnosticism says that the person is the inner part of me and my body is not. That's the matter. And if you are a Gnostic... And you have a Gnostic understanding of yourself that there's a person inside of you and that your body is like the car that you're in or the clothes that you wear. Then your body has to be brought into conformity with your person. 
This is the, then the assumption that says that I cannot be bound to my body, to the constraints of my body, to the limitations of my body, to the definitions of my body, or to the, uh, uh, to the limitations of my body. There is a, we, we should know this, that as we engage in this world, that, uh, that this world, it, it has only, we can only partially discern the purpose of things and we cannot determine the meaning of things. These have to be brought to the conversation, okay? Which means this, that you can look at something that you have and you can make a partial determination of the purpose of that thing but you cannot fully determine the meaning of it. You have to bring the meaning to it. I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I have a mouth, okay? And I can look at that mouth just as a creature, as a sort of investigating person. I could say, it seems like this has a purpose. But I can only partially understand the purpose of my mouth. I realize that I drink with it, I eat with it, I talk with it, I sing with it, so that I have a mouth and it has the purpose seemingly of getting food and drink and of communicating with people. Now, that, in other words, I can recognize that there's a purpose to this thing, but I don't know the full purpose of it unless the Lord teaches it to me, and I don't necessarily know the meaning of it. Like, what does it mean that I can talk? What does it mean that I eat? I have to be given that. That what is the meaning that I have to eat, by the way? It means I'm a creature. That I have to receive my life from things outside of me. That I have to be given to in order to survive. That I can taste things means that I'm here to also enjoy this life. But it also means that I'm mortal. Because if I stop eating and drinking, then I die. You see, the meaning of the mouth has to be brought along. The same with speech. I recognize I can speak, but what does that mean? The scripture tells me that, that my speech is what makes me a, a human being and sets me above the animals. That makes me able to communicate with God and confess my faith in Him and to live in human community and so forth and so on. In other words, we can, un we can determine by looking at creation, we can determine partially the purpose, but we can't determine the meaning. But what this whole of Gnosticism says is that I can look at my body and I can, uh, instead of understanding it as something with both purpose and meaning, I can reject it altogether. And I can say that my body has no meaning at all. This is a particularly tricky move. So normally, when a baby is born, you look at the baby and you say, oh, it's a boy or it's a girl. But Gnosticism rejects this capacity to find meaning altogether. Okay? Now, I'm going to show so I, so I, I want to see, I want to get this set up, and then I want you to, we're going to watch a video. This idea is that, that the body has no meaning, that creation has no meaning, and that my spirit or my internal self has the capacity to completely override that. Okay? Now, I want to show you all a video. This is from a, 
uh, a play about Joan of Arc that's playing right now at the Globe Theater in, in London, okay, the, the old Shakespeare Theater, called I, Joan, and this is the opening monologue. It's Joan of Arc presented as a transgender. In other words, Joan of Arc was born a girl, but she acted like a boy and a soldier and all of that. And, uh, and, she, uh, and she's now describing what that means. Now, I want you to listen to this to understand and watch this. And I want you to be thinking about transgenderism as a heresy. And I want you to be looking for Gnosticism. I've got some of the words on the slides as well, but you're going to see them. The first line is, trans people are divine. Okay? And I want you to, so I want you to watch this. And then after we watch this, it's, I think it's two minutes or something. I want you to, I want to put you just in little groups to discuss if you can see the Gnosticism and so forth. Are you ready for this? You're not ready for this. <laughs> but here we go. So, okay, so let's take five minutes, uh, just gather around two or three or four, and I'd like you to say, where's the Gnosticism and what else is going on? How can we see the transgenderism there is heresy? What did you notice 
in that monologue that matches with what we're talking about so far. Uh, go ahead and do that. I'll call you back together in just a few minutes. Okay, so we've, we see it now. Transgenderism is heresy. But the next thing I want to articulate is that transgenderism is, is an ancient heresy. It's not new. And not only, I want to say this clearly, not only is it just that Gnosticism is old and transgender is a form of Gnosticism, but actually transgenderism is old. Here's a little, um, here's a little uh, line from an essay called Androgyny, the Pagan Sexual Ideal, which if you, are, if you want to read more on this, this is a very intriguing article. It was written back, I think, in 2003 or something. The clearest textual testimony in ancient times comes from the 19th century B.C. Mesopotamia. That's like the time of Abraham. Okay. Androgynous priests were associated with the worship of the goddess Ishtar from the Sumerian age, 1800 B.C. B.C. Their condition was due to their, quote, devotion to Ishtar, who herself had transformed their masculinity into femininity. They functioned as occult shamans who released the sick from the power of the demons just as, according to the cult myth, they had saved Ishtar from the devil's lair as human beings, says a contemporary scholar. They seem to have engendered demonic abhorrence in others. The fearful respect they provoked is to be sought in their otherness their position between myth and reality and their divine demonic ability to transgress boundaries. Now, so some of the stories that come from this are really quite disturbing, but here's the, in, in this Ishtar thing, what they think that they would do is that there was priests who were men and they would get worked up into a frenzy and they would then in that frenzy castrate themselves and splash the blood of the, the, of, from their mutilation onto the altar of Ishtar. And from that point on, these uh, shamans, these priests, would present themselves as women serving in, at Ishtar, at the altar of Ishtar. And they were then to uh, these intermediaries between the, uh, between the God and humanity but you couldn't tell anymore if they were men or women. Now, this not only was in the ancient, ancient, ancient world, but it followed up in all of these things. So let's just fast forward to, um, oh, this is interesting. Here's Irenaeus talking about the, the Gnostics. Uh, so Irenaeus would be 130 or so, 160. Some of them hold that one man was formed after the image and likeness of God, masculo-feminine, and that was the spiritual man, and that another was formed out of the earth. Uh, so, I, all right, I didn't tell you some of the, the other stories. There was the God, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the priests in Ephesus who uh, were serving at the altar of, great as Artemis, Artemis uh, of the Ephesians, this huge big temple in Ephesus, and they would do the same thing. They were also, they would, they would self-castrate. They would, they would be baptized in a pit of bull blood and testicles. And they would come up out of, can you imagine this? So you, 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 
you castrate yourself, you go down into this pool of bull blood, you come up out of the bull blood, you take your testicles and wrap them in linen and bury them at the altar of Artemis, and then you now, from then on, you dress as a woman and you're serving in the Artemis cult. That was happening in Ephesus when St. Paul was there. That's, that, was the, that was a setup there. Uh, and, and, and what is the power of it? This is the power that it was being pointed uh, so, so Maybe before with the power of it. What was the point of it? The, the Gnostics had this idea that the original man created was Adam and Eve together. And that the fall happened when Adam and Eve were pulled apart. Some of them, this is what Irenaeus is talking about. They hold that a man was formed after the image and likeness of God, masculo-feminine. That was the spiritual man. Another man was formed out of the earth. Or here is uh, Hippolytus. This has got to be 160. The Nasin, this is a Christian Gnostic sect, says that there is the hermaphrodite man. According to the account of theirs, The intercourse of woman and man is demonstrated in conformity with such a teaching to be an exceedingly wicked and filthy practice. The act of marriage is is unclean. For, says the Nicene, Addis, one of the gods, has been emasculated, that is, he's passed over from earthly parts of the never world to everlasting substance above, where, he says, there's neither female nor male, but a new creature, a new man, a hermaphrodite. Neither male nor female. This is, in other words, this is in the ancient world. There was this practice not only of men mutilating themselves so that they were no longer men, they were hermaphrodites or androgynous, also women uh, who removing their breasts and also um, doing female castrations so that the women also were, especially at a young age, uh, I don't know how much this we really need to talk about, but there was, the, there was a, there's processes that they could perform to, on the girls so that they wouldn't go through puberty and they would grow up more like boys. Uh, it was basically the ancient world's form of hormone therapy. And so all this was practiced in devotion to these Gnostic cults. And the result was that you had a person who was neither male nor female. They didn't fit in those categories. And, and to them is described here, this, is, this do you see the line here? This divine, demonic ability to transgress boundaries. So that there's something strange happening whenever we're encountering a person who is, whose male-femaleness is indeterminative. Okay, I want to build on that a little bit more, but this is probably as far as we can go uh, now. So let's, let's stop there, and we want to come back to this, uh, the gospel of, Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, and I want to continue to work on this as an ancient heresy, so we'll do that in just a little bit. Um, let's, this morning in the first session, about transgenderism as Gnosticism, and we talked about transgenderism as a heresy, And we talked about transgenderism as an ancient heresy. In other words, not just in general, but in specific part of the ancient world. I want to look at this this, uh, quotation again from Hippolytus. It's going to inform a number of the things that Pastor Ketchermeyer said. But let me read you this little section. This is about the... 
This was about the priests who served the Syrian god or goddess Astarte of Heriopolis. So here's the passage. In like manner, those who castrated themselves in honor of the Syrian Astarte of Heriopolis also wore women's clothing. After performing the mutilation upon themselves, they ran through the city, carrying in their hands the severed parts, <laughs> which they cast into some house. Yes. And the inmates of the home were then required to furnish the newly castrated with female attire and female adornments, which were worn by the eunuchs for the remainder of their lives. So do you get that? So these men who wanted to serve the goddess Astarte, they would self-castrate, run through the town, throw their severed castrated parts through some window. Can you imagine you're just having breakfast and blah. <laughs> then that home was required to provide women's clothing and women's jewelry and makeup and whatever else to that guy so that he could dress as a woman and serve the, in the temple. In other words, this is not, and, and the, the point of this is that we, I don't, we're in a strange time in the world, but I don't want you to think it's so strange that it's unheard of. Here's Hippolytus, remember, for the Nasin says, there's the hermaphrodite man, according to this account of theirs, the intercourse of woman with a man is de uh, demonstrated in conformity with such teaching to be an exceedingly wicked and filthy practice, Addis has been emasculated. He's passed over from the earthly parts of the never world to the everlasting substance above, where there's neither male nor female, but a new creature, a new man, which is a hermaphrodite. In other words, remember how we talked about, it, that even in the monologue that we had earlier, that to ascend from the matter to the spirit, that ascent is into the nether world, so that when you had these priests, these shamans who were eunuchs, uh, men dressing like women and they'd been made eunuchs that they were part of the they were part of the afterlife they were part of the perfect new man this comes in into even the Gnostic gospel of Thomas here's two sayings from Jesus supposedly Jesus from the Gnostic gospel of Thomas listen to this this is some crazy stuff Jesus uh, Gnostic gospel of Thomas is probably 120 150 early some want it to be really early it's amazing that the that the Bible the Bible critics they want the real gospels to be written so much later and the Gnostic gospels to be written so much earlier. This is probably so say 120 150. Here's a saying. Jesus saw infants being suckled and he said to the disciples, "These infants who suck are like those who enter the kingdom." He said to them, they said to him, "Shall we then enter the kingdom as infants?" Jesus said to them, "When you make the two one, when you make the inside like the outside, and the outside like the inside, and the above like the below, when you make the male and the female one, so that the male will not be male, nor the female female, and when you fashion eyes in place of an eye, and a hand in place of a hand, which I don't know what that means, and a foot in place of a foot, and a likeness in place of a likeness, then you will enter the kingdom. 
Do you get, this is Gospel Thomas. When you make the male like the female so that neither is one is one, then they will enter the kingdom. Or here's the very last line in the Gospel of Thomas. Simon Peter said to them, let Mary leave us for women are not worthy of life. Whoa. Jesus said, this is talking about Mary Magdalene, look, I will guide her in order to make her male so that she too may become a living spirit like you males. Whoa. For every female who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Now, if nothing else, let's just get the idea that we're not dealing with anything new. Here's something a little bit later. This is Jacob Bohm or Bohmy or something. This is coming out at Reformation time. But this is, this, is the, uh, this is now the Middle Ages, the alchemist tradition, which kind of grabbed a hold of that, narciss- uh, of, that, uh, not narcissism, of that Gnosticism and carried it forward. God created in his image and likeness a single man. Adam was a man and also a woman. For God did not in the beginning make man and woman. He did not create them at the same time because the life in which the two properties of masculine and feminine are united in one constitutes man in the image of God. So this is the idea that God didn't make Adam and Eve, that God made neither male nor female, the, the, the heavenly man. And then when the two were pulled apart, or when, the two, when it became, instead of one, when it became two, that's, the, that's when the fall happened. It's so important that God looks at Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, be fruitful and multiply, and says, that's good. Man and woman, let's just, let's just hammer this point home. Man and woman are not part of the fall. They're part of God's good creation. It's not the result of the fall. Look at the second little line here. Adam was given that which he would have, a terrestrial woman in place of the celestial virgin, for Adam's treachery toward his heavenly consort disqualified him for her and left him only fitted for an eve. During his sleep, the woman was made out of Adam. The image of God was destroyed. Do you see that? This is the Gnostic idea. When God pulls Eve out of Adam, then the image is destroyed. Then the fall happens. Yes, sir. It is a, I want to reflect on that a little bit more because if we could have a true feminism, it would be, we would start with the idea of what belongs uniquely to women. And what belongs uniquely to women is motherhood. And it would then be an extolling of all the virtues of motherhood. The odd thing is that the, the way that feminism broke the direction of the movement, it went away from motherhood. Instead of embracing motherhood, it went to separating women from motherhood. And, and maybe because men wanted to be separate from fatherhood. We'll, we'll think about that in a little bit. 
Okay, so here's the basic Gnostic idea. Remember, you have the person and the self, and you have the body. The two that God meant to be one are separated, and so the two that are meant to be separated, man and woman, are put back together. It's a rebellion of the unity of body and soul. It's the, it's the rebellion of the distinction of man and woman. In fact, it's a rebellion of the distinction of the creature and the creator. And so we have the question, just the simple question, where's the authority? We understand that the authority belongs to the one who created body and soul together, but Gnosticism, remember, says that authority belongs to the person or the self, which is the internal, what, uh, what Carl Truman calls the expressive individual. He picks that up, I think, from, uh, mm, it'll come to me in just, change, uh, Charles Taylor, the idea of the expressive individual, my internal sense of who I am, that's my person and myself, and that rules over my body. So that if I have a question, if, I have, if my body and my insides, let's say it like this, if my insides and my outsides are at odds with one another, my insides seem to be womanly, my outsides seem to be manly, so I have a, I have a conflict there. And we can understand that conflict because we live in a fallen world. But if you're a Gnostic, where does the authority go? Who gets to decide who I am? Yes? So would you be some third thing looking at both of these, wondering which is going to win or something? Well, it's the, we would recognize that the conscience is that part of our internal life that's able to reflect on itself. So not only do we think, but we recognize that we think. Not only do we feel, but we recognize that we feel. And that capacity for self-reflection, that sort of internal mirror is what we recognize as the conscience. But that conscience is also part of our inner life. So the conscience can even know what it is feeling, which is wild. So that we get that from, Paul talks about it, he says like, no one searches the mind of man except for the spirit of man. And so the spirit of God searches the mind of God, that kind of thing. So that conscience is that, that capacity for self-reflection. Yeah, and we don't even think about it. It's good to, uh, for us to think about that. Like, how do I know that I am thinking? How do I know that I'm feeling? I think the animals just think and feel, but they don't know that they're doing that. That's, our, that's part of our humanity is the gift of the conscience. Yeah. But if I am a Gnostic and I have these two different things, like the self says, hey, I'm man, and the body says I'm woman, which one wins? The self, the internal self. And the external self has to be brought into conformity with the conversation of the internal self. In other words, it has to look at my body, at my, the thing that is created, and it has to say, no, you have to change. You have to submit to my inner life. This is the Gnostic moment in which we live, which has enshrined the so-called capacity of self-definition. I want to read you this, and you can tell me where you think it's from. Choices about marriage shape an individual's destiny. As the, Supreme Court Judicial Court, as the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts has explained, because it fulfills yearnings for security, safe haven, and connection that express our common humanity, civil marriage is an esteemed institution, and the decision whether and whom to marry is among life's momentous acts of self-definition. You know where it comes from because you're looking on the sheet and you're cheating. <laughs> That's the Obergefell decision. A burger phone. Now the key phrase here is life's acts of self-definition. It's assumed here 
that we are defining ourselves, creating ourselves, shaping our own lives. As Christians, we do not concede that assumption. Life is not about self-definition. We are what God says of us. But recognize that the, that the modern project is an act of self-definition, which means that surely I can, def- I can give myself a name. How many people even have just changed their names from the names that their parents gave them, even because they don't like them? Where does that idea that we have the authority to change our names? Or I can change my pronouns. Or I can change my gender. Of course. I can change all of these things because the body and the matter and that which is created must fall in line with the spirit and the person. Now there is a problem. God has created humanity on two hills. Here's my illustration. I hope you'll, uh, you'll take it for something helpful. God has created us on either the man hill or the... Oh, these are out of order. I changed the order listening to Pastor Kachemeyer. Sorry, you have to flip around in your pages. God has created us on two hills, either on the man hill or on the woman hill. And here's the point. You cannot climb from the top of one to the top of the other. It's impossible. You, in fact, cannot go from being a man to being a woman. The essence of masculinity or femininity is too deep. It's, it's, it's down to the genetic level, but even more. All you can do is go down the valley to the middle. So where we're talking about the eunuch, the androgynous, the non-binary. You can... Cut off, but you cannot add on. You can diminish. There is no way to give to a man a womb. There is no way to give to a a woman a seed. And so the, the result is meeting in the valley below. And here's the irony. What's happening there? Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, my orders. Can you imagine this? Wait a minute. How come it doesn't work? Aha, uh-huh. oh yeah. So, and, and, so here's, to, here's to demonstrate it. So can you imagine replacing male with father or female with mother and see how the transition goes? I'm not a man, I'm a woman. Can you imagine saying this? I'm not a father, I'm a mother. You just doesn't, you see it doesn't work. The, what happens is, and here's the irony of the whole thing, is that when we try to create ourselves, we in fact take away our capacity to be creative. <laughs> when we try to act like God and, and manipulate our own bodies in the way that we think that they should be, the result is that we can no longer have children. We become sterile, which is the end and in a way is the goal of the hormone treatment as well as the gender reaffirming surgery. You can no longer be father or mother. The transgender man cannot be a father. The transgender woman cannot be a mother. 
And this should break our hearts. In fact, this is where we, we should have deep, deep sympathy for those whose, uh, whose body is a, is a burden to them. So have a deep sympathy for them, but here's, here's really where our sympathy kind of hits the road is because through, through, the, through the ideology of Gnosticism and the idea of self-creation, they've taken away that capacity to be mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, and so forth. Now, this is the tragic irony of all idol worship. It's, it's like this. We, we, we see it whenever the idols are always destroying, but they always, the idols always trick themselves like, hey, I'm going to be your servant, and then you end up being its servant. So, like, if you, you, you know, the God, if you just take the most common idol of money and you say, oh, I'm going to make money serve me and give me pleasure, but it, it, at some point, pretty quickly, it flips, and instead of it serving you, you're serving it. This is always the way of idol worship. Okay, so, so we have this, uh, the, 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 the trouble of the transgender ideology is it just can't get there. It, can, it can't accomplish what it promises to accomplish. Now, I, I was reading, and this is a pretty helpful book, actually. Um, the, this is a book called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. It was published in 2018. It's an amazing thing that it's only five years old and it's already out of date uh a number of things in here are already out of date but i was reading through this thinking about the the conversation today and i came across this quote by nuradine knight a black lady uh, i think involved in sort of racial i think she's probably a black feminist if i if i remember right but she was talking about she made this comparison she said a black person who wants to be white is practicing self-hate. And so is a man who wants to be a woman or a woman who wants to be a man. And this is where uh, something clicked for me, where I, I think I understand a simplicity about this particular transgender moment. But if you, if you got the idea, like if I'm born white, but I would rather be black, or I'm born... Asian and I would rather be white or I'm black but I'd rather be white she was t I think Noreen uh, Nureen, uh Nureen, excuse me was talking about how this was a big problem like in the in the 80s is that if there was black people who were very light-skinned and they would basically adopt white culture and this became a big problem in the whole uh, discussion about race and so forth that uh, you're adopting something because you despise who you are and we were saying no don't despise who you are in fact she goes on in this quote to say we tell the women especially that they are to love their bodies but what is it when you say that I despise my body I hate my body or I reject my body it's this form of self-hatred and and what it comes down to is a fundamental lack of thanks for who we are created to be. Now, I, I, I think that this is what it means then to fight against it, is that we refuse to draw the line. This might be a new slide. We refuse to draw the line between spirit and matter, and we recognize that God has made us both, that God has given me my eyes and ears and all my members, my reason and all my senses, that he has created us body and soul, and he has given us our body, 
And we are to receive our body along with everything else in creation with thanksgiving. I want to read you, in fact, I want to maybe put these two things next to each other that, that and maybe oversimplify it like this, but to say that transgenderism, the fundamental flaw of transgenderism is the refusal to thank God for the gift of creation, especially the creation that he's given me. I want to read two little lines from Luther, and then I want to have you all discuss these two little things from Luther as he's talking about this. This is Luther talking about um, Jacob going to get married. Uh, He ends up marrying uh, uh, Rebecca uh, and Leah. Leah and Rachel, excuse me. He ends up marrying Leah and Rachel. And so uh, Isaac and Rebecca sent him away to go get married. And Luther's reflecting on the gift of marriage in particular. He's talking to seminarians. And, 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 and I thought this was, the more I think about this, the more I think there's really profound wisdom in here. This is what Luther says. I believe in God who has created me a man. And I shall thank him that I have his word, and that it has pleased him for me to be a husband, to be a wife, if you are a wife or a husband, in order that I may bring up offspring and govern the household, and that through the gospel I have the promise of eternal life and consolation in this present life. Or here's the, the prayer that Luther says, and this is especially to those who are tempted to despise the gift of marriage. Lord God, I am thy creature. That that right there, I mean, that could be the whole takeaway from today. That the church is to confess, that each one of us is to confess, that we are the Lord's creatures. Created a man by thee, or created a woman by thee. He's here's here talking to a bunch of seminarians, so it's a bunch of guys in the class. Created a man by thee and ordained to this kind of life in which I am now constantly entangled in many evils and difficulties. But I grant, but grant that I may truly acknowledge that I am thy creature, and that thou art my father and creator. And grant that I may await help and protection from thee. Okay, I want you to talk about those two uh, particular passages from Luther just for about five minutes uh, in, uh, in a little group. And I want you to ask this question or reflect on this. How does this understanding of being God's creature or being created by them stand in contrast to the ideology of transgenderism as we've talked about it today? Okay, so about five minutes. Go. Let's see. Thoughts? Yes, sir. Uh, I thought it was pretty surprising how directly it spoke to this transgender movement, at least passages more. But that's just like something I noticed about it. It seems like it, it, it could see him talking about it. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. It's like it seems like Luther kind of knows what's going on, and the, and the answer he does. I mean, Gnosticism is Gnosticism, no matter which way it shows up. It's all it's all the same rebellion, right? against being creature. Perfect. Do you think that someone, how how do you think it would be if someone who was struggling with, let's say gender dysphoria, let's let it it stand and say someone's struggling with this, could they pray this prayer? Or maybe this is, if someone is, um, if someone is transgender, could they pray the prayer here? I thank you that I am your creature. 
I see heads nodding both different directions. I mean, they could say the words, but wouldn't those words fight directly against what they're trying to do? Well, how, how, well, so, so here we confess to the Lord, Lord, you are my creator. What is the, what is the transgender confession? I am my own creator. See the difference? Okay, good. What else? Uh, here's a, yes, sir. Right. That's beautiful. That, they're really well said. That there's a that the act of creation, it gives us a, uh, it gives us a source and it gives us a goal. It gives us an alpha and an omega. It's not just that we are. You remember the Aristotelian four causes. Where do think? Uh, where did a thing come from? Where's the thing going? What's a thing made of? And what's a sh- what is a thing? That's all that. If you take God away, you don't have where we came from, and you don't have where we're going. The ends are cut off, and uh, and you and, and so you become. You, the, if you're going to have purpose and meaning, it's because you're going to find it or create it. But when we confess that we are created, it brings along with it that purpose. And the purpose is so great is to be loved by God. We find our our end in Him. That's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. What else? We, how do we think of these things? And, and I think I, there's four things that I want to think of. The first is, how do, we, our, how do we as individuals and as families and as communities, but especially how do we as individuals uh, uh, protect against this temptation? And I think that it starts with thanksgiving. We recognize that we are made by God. And we are thankful for that. And thanksgiving becomes the antidote to these acts of self-destruction. This, I want to point to Romans 1. Uh, Genesis 1 was important. Pastor Ketchmeyer covered it earlier. But here's Romans 1. And the whole context is actually important. Here's your homework. Could you read today Romans 1, 18, all the way to the end of the chapter? But the key text is here. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, so that they, the unbeliever, the heathen, the Gentile, everybody, are without excuse. Because although they knew God, there's two things they did not do. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Do you see that? 
that one of the marks of the pagan mind is a lack of thankfulness. So to recognize God as God, the creator, and to thank him for it, this is a protection for our own minds and hearts from becoming futile. But to lack thankfulness and to not glorify God as God, the result is a futility of thought, a darkness of heart, a worship of the creature, and an exchanging of their natural glory. That's what happens next. It says they exchange the glory of God for the creature. They worship the creature as the creator, so they lost that distinction. And then they change the glory of man. And then Paul talks immediately about homosexual practice. In other words, there's a, there's a connection between gender confusion, between sexual confusion, and, and a lack of thankfulness. It's, it's, it's that simple. If I wake up and thank the Lord, and remember this, I, this is a casual distinction, but the difference between being grateful and thankful, right? Because everybody's trying to be grateful nowadays, but the, we can look at the difference between gratefulness and thankfulness. If, if I give you something nice, you can be grateful for that thing that's nice. But what if I give you something that's ugly? It's very difficult to be grateful for something that's ugly or terrible. But thankfulness doesn't just look to the goodness of the gift, but rather thankfulness looks to the goodness of the giver. So my mom sometimes would give me an Oreo for which I was grateful. Sometimes she would give me Brussels sprouts to which I should have been thankful. I wasn't, but I should have been. In other words, I didn't see the, any goodness in the Brussels sprouts, but I knew that my mom loved me and that she wanted me to grow up and have broad shoulders, and so she was feeding me vegetables because they're good for you. She knew they were I didn't know they were good. But you see this? To, to be thankful is to recognize the goodness of the giver. And so when we wake up in the morning, the first thing out of our mouths, I thank you, my Heavenly Father. I thank you. Even though things might be tough, even though things might be difficult. And we look, at this create, we look at this creaturely life and we thank the Lord for it. Do you, do you see what a, what a uh, I mean, if you just take the, uh, the, the transgender moment and you say, uh, they, they lack the uh, capacity to be thankful for the gift of their own body. So let us thank the Lord for the gift of our body. That's the first thing, okay? The second thing is that we recognize that this world is crazy and that the world outside the church is tossed around like a boat on the ocean. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre wrote a book, apparently, his first novel called Nausea, which I've not read. That doesn't sound like an appealing title. But he describes in this book, so I'm told by people who've read it, the condition of modern man as one of nausea. I think this is, I was, I was talking about this and someone said, have you read Sartre? And I said, no. But this idea is that, you, you, that, that the, our culture is seasick. Have you ever been out on a boat and it's just rocking so much and you just, there's nothing solid. Everything is moving and, and it's like, you just want to hold on to something that's, that's sturdy and, 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 and isn't being tossed around, but there's nothing. It's just, this is our culture. There's nothing solid out there. 
There's no up or down. There's no right or wrong. I remember one time, uh, we thought this would be fun. We were moving from one house to another. We were in Albuquerque. And uh, we packed up this moving truck and brought some of the junk over to the house. And then we're going back. And we thought it would be great to get, ride in the back of the empty moving truck, right? Me and my brothers. And so we were back there, and it's pitch black. And you don't know if you're moving or stopped. You don't know if you're turning or anything. It's the, it's the craziest, most disorienting thing because it's just... And this is how the world is. What's up and down? What's right and wrong? There's so many questions now that uh, you go back two generations, and they just weren't questions. Am I a man or a woman? Am I going to be a father or a mother? Or whatever the question. It's, it, it's that the world is, is tossed to sea and it's nauseous. And probably the reason why it's nauseous is because it identifies objective reality with our subjective sense of self. When it puts the authority on the internal conversation, it puts you out to sea. Because one day you feel this way and another day you feel that way. This, this is, he, Sartre is pulling on Descartes who made this move, remember? I think, therefore I am. And he identified the objectivity of my person in my own thinking. I am, I am, I exist. I think, therefore I am, I am. Because I think, why do I think? I don't want to think anymore. I'm because I think that I don't want to be. I think that I, because, ah! <laughs> do you see it? If it's all up here, what is it? There's nothing to grab a hold of. Now, this means that the church, the church has something solid to say. The church is unmoving ground. We confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We confess that God made us male and female. That means the church is an island out in the midst of this raging ocean. And I think that it is the solid ground that many people who are out to sea want. They're seasick. They're throwing up over the edge. They don't know what to do. There's never a right or wrong. So that the church has to be very clear about this. Very sturdy. Man and woman. Marriage. Children. Life and death. We have to be very sturdy for the sake of of the nauseous. But repentance is going to be like a violent shipwreck. It's going to be hard when people who are on the boat of this culture crash into the ocean. There's a violence there. We have to be ready. And I think the, the, a big part of the church's life is going, to be, uh, is going to be just catching those who are washed up on the beach those who have been thrown off the, the boat, those who have been rejected by the culture, those who have tried everything that the culture uh, wants them to try to find their authentic self, and they realize that there's no, there's no there there. They can't get to the bottom of a tube, of a hole. So that we have to be so clear about what's right and wrong and what's created by God so that we can be so clear with the love of Christ. So clear with the kindness of Jesus. So clear with the cleansing blood of Jesus. 
I, I, I told the Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, I said, I want you all to be ready that in a couple of months that there's going to be people sitting in this room, men dressed like women and women who you can't tell if they're men and all sorts of things. And I want them to say of this place, of this church, of, the, of you, that, that you in all the world are the only people who will tell them that this is not right, that you cannot redefine the body according to the mind. And yet this is the place where I feel most welcome and loved, received, that people that you look at my face, that you don't despise me. This is what the church is, to catch those who are washing up on shore. Contrition, the two parts of contrition are the, are the two parts of repentance are contrition and faith. The law shows us that we're sinners. The, uh, the, the gospel shows us that Christ has died for us. Now this means, here's I think one of the sweetest, remember we talked about these eunuch priests in the Old Testament. Look at what Isaiah 56 says here. This is an amazing piece of gospel. Thus says the Lord to the eunuch, to the emasculated man who's gone to serve in the pagan temple, but who now keeps my Sabbath. In other words, who's repentant and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Don't please miss the, both the irony and the humor in that last phrase. The eunuch shall not be cut off. <laughs> Let the reader understand. But here's the point. This is not a them-us this is not a, 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 a we, 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 we do not give the pronouns we, them. <laughs> We're all in this mess together, and there is a place in the Lord's house for all, for all people. Every single person, remember we can know this about every single person, even if they don't know it about themselves, that every single person we encounter is created by God, that Jesus is their brother, that Jesus is their redeemer, and that the Holy Spirit is working in them repentance and life. Where should the transgender, cisgender, misgender be? Sitting with you in church. There is a place. Look what it says. I will give them in my house, in my walls, a name better than that of sons and daughters. Oh, for those who are mourning the fact that they can no longer have sons and daughters, that they've so chased after an illusion that they've destroyed their capacity to have children, we say, the Lord says, I have something even better for you, an eternal, an eternal name. That shall not be cut off. See it? So what do we do? First, we thank the Lord that we are created. That's our, that's our protection against the assault of Gnosticism on each one of us. Second, we... In, is that what's next? Did I add this? Or is it there? In the cultural conversation... Which is that, so we're standing on this, on this island in the middle of an ocean at sea. We know what is right, and we know that what is right is also good. So we're fighting for the joyful doctrine of creation. St. Paul says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In fact, can you be encouraged that there was all this transgenderism in the ancient world and it faded away for over a thousand years? Why? Because Christians were preaching the gospel. 
and Gnosticism failed. It's back again, but it'll fail again. So in the cultural conversation, we know the argument, we know the fight. It's this fight against Gnosticism. We know how to do it. Okay? In the individual conversation, or if when someone is coercing us, in other words, if this ideology is brought to us as a demand, we cannot concede. We're not authorized to do it. Here's the best thing that I have come up to say. If someone says, my pronouns are day dem, <laughs> you must use them, or whatever. Or even if someone requires you to identify according to your, program, to your pronouns, you just can't do it. You cannot, you cannot concede to the fact that pronouns are self-created. I belong to Jesus who created male and female. He has not authorized me to make any adjustments. And you also should belong to Jesus. <laughs> and we suffer willingly whatever consequences there are to follow. This is the way of the martyr. And last, when asked our thoughts on this with gentleness and respect, we say as kindly as we can, transgenderism is a heresy regarding creation. And we are first creatures who acknowledge and give thanks to our bodies as a gift from God. And that Jesus died also for this sin, for this confusion. And like every other sin, he rejoices to forgive and welcome you. So we speak clearly the Lord's law and gospel. Okay? Okay. I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's good. Uh, let's see if we have, I think we're, I can't remember the time. I think we're probably right at time. Is that right? So let's, um, let's take a break for uh, 15 minutes. We got cookies and bananas and everything like that. And then we'll do a little Q&A. Thank you very much. <laughs>